Um, I guess it was just a uh, hoax until the election. I was wrong on that one too. <laughs> Can't believe it. Yeah, I, it's worth it though you know it's like sucker it's I like am. it's like um it's like when you lose your wallet like when you find it like it's just that it's almost worth losing it to have that joy of finding it you know <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah it sucks to yeah, go everyone's gonna virus. be really appreciative yeah. of stuff after this yeah like curing a virus is almost worth having it in the first place like it's <laughs> it's a great story to tell <laughs> right Enter, if you dare, this ghastly conversation of teens fraught with despair and recent lacerations. Final girl, chase after her, don't let her get away. But first, the Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. Welcome to Slumber Podcast Massacre with TNA. That's Tim. That's Andy. And this is a podcast about horror. I mean, every week, Tim and I are going to get together on this audio, uh, exemplary audio Zoom call. Got the audio figured out. We're doing it. Um, Where we talk about a different film from the horror genre, from from your well-known classics down to that rare gem with its tongue cut off on the back of your video store (laughs) shelf. This week, Tim and I are going to talk about the 1991 gem. I'm saying fucking gem. The People Under the Stairs, written and directed by Wes Craven. Tim, have you ever been in a strange house where you just got a lot of red flags? <laughs> or just being in the house itself uh, gave you the heebie-jeebies or warning? Not a haunted house like where you went in expecting it. An unexpected feeling of unease, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. Oh, yeah. Yep, yep. I, I sure have. And it, it wasn't a house, though. It was, um, but exactly what you're getting at. Uh, it was a, maybe a couple of months ago. I wanted to take my daughters uh, to this one uh, antique shop that was kind of, uh, it was sort of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, I, I had been there before. It was really cool. Would they kind of like that stuff the same way that I do? And so we go out there and it turns out that it's closed. And I'm like, well, we're right by a town that has a ton of other antique shops. Let's just find one and we'll go there instead. So we go into this antique shop. When you first walked in, at first it was really cool um, just because you could tell that it was big and it had a bunch of stuff. But the further that you got into it, it was just this really anxious feeling of there being almost too much stuff. Uh-huh. Plus, it had that antique store smell, sure. but to like a nauseating level. <laughs> and then we go down in the basement. What's really and, in here? Yeah, we go down in the basement and the, it's a really low ceiling basement. And we kind of work our way to this back, back sort of cavernous room and that room is nothing but dolls and just like shelves and shelves on top of each other of just dolls staring at you and i'm like we have got to get the (laughs) fuck out of here and so and the girls and i are all feeling it at at the same time and we're working our way out of there we're getting out of this place and of course you know the girls being the girls they want to like we're in a place that sells something. They want something, you know, sure. that's just how it goes. They're kids. And one of my daughters was like, Hey, can I, can I buy one of these? It was a dish 
filled with like skeleton keys. And I am like, you are bringing nothing into our <laughs> home that you got from inside this building. Like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. It was it was the kind of place where as soon as you get out and get fresh air, you're like a thousand percent relieved. Mm-hmm. So That's I don't awesome. know. I don't know what like magic voodoo doll was buried somewhere in that basement, but it was, it was terrifying. But um, yeah, I, I have had, you know, I, I, I do try to pick up on the vibes of things. Certainly uh, certain buildings have vibes. The one house that I bought before I turned around and sold it a year later uh, was, was fantastically haunted. I'm, I'm positively sure of it. Um, and even so much so that the people that did buy the house, I saw them like a couple years later and they're like, so, Hey, that house, uh, did you ever feel or sense anything there? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I did. That's why I sold it. And, uh, and they, they laughed too. I mean, they knew like, it was just cause you didn't want to mow your lawn. (laughs) Yeah. That was part of it. That was part of it. And like, well, you know, when I tried to mow the goddamn lawn there, it had this like drainage ditch, like kind of like six inches into the Uh ground. And I got attacked, attacked by multiple bees. But I always thought like bees come from like a beehive in a tree. Right. Apparently they're on the ground too. And they fucking just annihilated me. And, um, and I just thought that wasn't playing fair. Yeah. I sold it. Fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) I never got that feeling in in that house, but really, Oh man, I'm a skeptic. What can I say? I'm never really going to ever get the feeling like, Oh, nope. There is a ghost here. Yes. Yes. Well, I've told you that before about your own house and I love your house. I, it's one of my favorite houses to be in as long as there are other people inside the house. Right. But I've been in there by myself just to run an errand for you and could not get out of that place (laughs) by myself. It might also be the smell. (laughs) It's great. And, and as long as you're there, and the family's there. It's it's the warmest, most comfortable place in the world. But I'm telling you, there's no way for you to be in your house and not be in it at the same time. But if you could, right. trust me, you'd get the fuck out. There's a niceness vacuum uh, as we leave, <laughs> yes. taken over by bad spirits. Well, Tim, that's crazy because uh, let me tell you about this one house that I saw in the movie The People Under the Stairs because it's fucking wacky. <laughs> um. So yeah, we're talking about 1991's People Under the Stairs, written and directed by Wes Craven. Uh, thing at a budget of six mil, which is a decent budget, uh, and yeah. made 34. That's a hit. That's a hit. That's a certified hit. Uh, and uh, it was a hit, I feel like. Right? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I like, like what I think we're it was talking mixed about. critically, because I don't think people knew what to take of it, because it's a it's unconventional to say the least in a few different ways, but yeah. I know that I, I paid my money at the, at the theater, which, uh, you know, I, I still, to this day, I don't know how I saw so many <laughs> R rated horror movies. I mean, I, I guess I started, uh, I think I started shaving when I was in seventh grade. So that might've had something to do with it, but, <laughs> um, but no, I, I did see it in the movie theater, loved it in the movie theater, um, and uh, saw it several times after that. And yeah, it it was a hit. And I, you know, the funny thing is, is I don't even know how they, I can't even really remember the marketing campaign, but he, uh, let me tell you something funny real quick. I was telling, speaking of my daughters, I was telling them about the movies that we were going to be covering. 
And just saying the title, the people under the stairs, they were like, nope, <laughs> nope. And I'm like, no, I think you guys would really like this one. They're like, uh-uh. That's how, and they don't even know. They have no idea what this movie is about. Right. But the people under the stairs, quote unquote, it's, sounds terrifying. It's a great title. And on the other end, I because uh, we, you know, pulling back the curtain, we watch we record these uh, two at a time, and so we grouped this with House of the Devil. And so I asked my daughter because uh, she was going to watch them with me. I'm like, which one do you want to watch first, House of the Devil or the People Under the Stairs? And an emphatic, the second one. And it's because that title is so <laughs> it's it's creepy. It's a weird thought. This was pre Harry Potter as well. Now, now it's like, oh, Harry Potter lived under the stairs. That's what a what a wonderful place that wizards come from. <laughs> but at the time, uh, it didn't tell you much about the movie at all. Like you didn't know what you're going in for, you know, well, and let me take that a step further. This is actually one of my favorite things about this movie is that you don't really know anything, like you said, from the title. And what's and now it's hard to, to kind of uh, quantify this, but especially if you've seen the movie on multiple viewings, but if you really look at it through the eyes of someone who's seeing it for the first time, you don't really even know exactly what's happening in this house for like the first 45 minutes or an hour. Like you don't know, like, you know, that creepy shit is happening, but you have no idea why it's happening or what's going on or, or why certain people are the way that they are. Like when I tried to not to give anything away, but when I tried to, to tell my daughters like, no, no, the people under the stairs are nice. Like, right. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, like they're, they're good people, you know, they're troubled, but they're, you know, they're not horrible, awful people, but you don't even know that as you're watching this movie, you, it really does not. I talk a lot about movies spoon feeding us, but it, it doesn't spoon feed you spoon feed you a damn thing other than you just know you, I don't know. This movie just feeds you very little bits uh, and as much as you need to know yeah, at any just given. the right amount at right. just the right times. Yeah, I really. I love the script. I do think there is there's kind of a point later. It, it drags a little bit. Um, I kind of forgot that our, our hero escapes and goes back. I was yeah. like, oh, Jesus Christ. OK, there's still <laughs> some going on here. But other than that. Everything else is so good in it. Let's get let's get Nan Summer yeah. out of the way real quick. Uh, Poindexter Fool Williams has a lot of problems in his life. His mother has cancer. He lives in the ghetto. And on top of it all, he's being evicted. Hoping to save his family, Fool joins his sister's boyfriend, Leroy, in a plot to rob from his landlord in order to pay rent. What he wasn't expecting was to get trapped in a house of horrors with a deranged mother and father, their daughter, and all of their sons. That's the people <laughs> under the stairs. All my sons. All my uh, sons. <laughs> yeah. Um, my three sons and my other three sons. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it is, it is so many different movies wrapped up in, into one. And, and I don't mean that like in a, a genre blending style, but there's little bits and pieces and something that I really noticed going back and watching it after several years was, how many influences I saw in this movie. Like I, well, the first time I saw it, it just looked like its own really unique singular vision. 
But now when I go back, I see a little, I see a lot of like evil dead. I see yeah. in, in some regard, you could say like home alone style, like <laughs> this sort of like zany kooky action stuff. Um, there's like a little bit of carry happening with, uh, with the mommy character. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, there is, it's a really delicate balance to have all of the things that Wes Craven incorporated into this movie and really holding it all together. But I'll tell you, I think it's one of his best directed movies. Like for all of the credit that Wes Craven gets as, as an idea guy, because he is brilliant. Some of his movies can be a little rough around the edges when it comes to the actual directing and the the presentation of it. Even Shocker. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Or even like, even if you look at the first nightmare, which I dare not say anything bad about, but I mean, it's, it's a little choppy, you know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful in, in like 99% of it, but it's this movie though, had a real polish to it as far as like, it looked like a more mature director, a a more mature Wes Craven would really kind of mastered directing craft. And it it's, it's probably one of his best. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love pretty much everything about this movie. And something I didn't pick up on, which seems obvious now watching it, but you know, when you're watching it as a 14-year-old, you're not thinking about class struggle and, you know, the elite hoarding wealth. But now watching this movie, I mean, it almost seems like in my face, but it was it was such a nice refreshing new viewing of it that I, I gained so much more understanding of what he was trying to say. Cause I mean, it's essentially, you have this, the evil family, they're very wealthy, but they're literally hoarding their wealth. They do, they live in like a large home, but it is squalor. Like there are fly dead flies piled up on the windowsills. You know, nothing has been painted or carpeted, you know, just, the walls are rotting and they like break, like shoot the fucking walls. Like they have no care for what they have. They right. just want to accumulate wealth and keep it from other people. And to and like, and that's a philosophy that like nearly drives me as an adult. Now, this idea of hoarding wealth, taking advantage of the poor. Cause I mean, not only like let's, like so fool our main character another point let's not gloss over this what a bold move to make your main hero a a child and b a black like right especially in 91 not that we were like super racist then like we're not now but i mean that's that that's a bold move a child oh, yeah. alone but then to have your main character be a person of color um was huge, but I mean, obviously this movie wouldn't have worked. I mean, that that, without that, it wouldn't have had the same message because this is about white, wealthy Americans shitting on poor people of color. I mean, that's, that's your essential people under the stairs. Yeah. It, it helps. It's very much helped by the fact that that the kid is fantastic. Mm. Uh, I mean, he's, he's so good. Great. And um, but you're right. I mean, the the rarity of that, the risk of that, you know, when you're talking about a movie being financially successful, it's a it's a, a huge risk because, again, we're not talking about 
a kid's movie. No. It's, by, it's by no means a children's film, but yet it is starring a child um, or, or a couple of children for that matter. So yeah, but super ballsy move. Um, but I, I like you did not uh, in, in those initial viewings all those years ago, did not see the, the social commentary in it. For me at that time, it was kind of more like, Oh, here's an evil family you know, they're, they're crazy or they're, I mean, if anything, maybe the like incestual part of it, like resonated right. more than anything, but yeah, I thought were, they were evil for so many other reasons. Right. Exactly. And what right. I got through this time. Yeah. And they yes. are, they are. Yeah. Like the, and that's like the abuse in this movie, like hit me so hard. Like there's yeah. a part where the mom throws the daughter in a, in a tub of boiling water. And it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't hit me as hard then. And now I'm just like, whoa. Right. But I'll tell you I think, I think one of the, and I, I definitely want to say this uh, so I don't forget the absolute critical key uh, that's on par with, if you're going to have, you know, a child as your star, you've got to have a kid that's talented enough to pull that off, which they have. But I think equally as critical uh, of, a, of a thing that is a must have in this movie, or at least it was a great decision that they made, was that they allowed this, you know, incestual, crazy, freaky mommy and daddy duo to be played with a pretty high level of hamminess. Oh, to, because killing it. But because it, I, it's good. Oh, yeah. Because I think that if you had had those characters played any more straightforward and dark i i think it might have made the movie just almost too off-putting um but the fact that they're played with such like zeal like that it's it's this kind of just excitement and fun and silliness and let's just say it i mean it doesn't sound like there'd be room for this in in the things that we're talking about but hilarious oh. okay the humor i mean don't don't miss i mean through all the social commentary and everything else there this movie is also hysterical in yes. certain parts a lot so, of good memorable lines especially with daddy like daddy is uh my favorite character in this movie because oh, he yeah. is so over the top and and here's something and we kind of brought this up last episode where you were talking about you don't like when the killer is all pratfally and stuff like that or like in scream i did like that about scream that's what i loved about this movie like daddy gets the shit kicked out of him throughout this whole movie <laughs> but he is still menacing and diabolical and he's still a threat through the whole thing but yeah. like he gets lamp smashed on his head you know he's knocked out like five or six times in this movie he gets punched in the balls like there, there's so many just dumb funny humor like so much physical comedy happens to him and you're happy it happens to him because he's so reprehensible. I, that's I kind of love that about this movie. No, I would. But maybe I, it doesn't apply as much as what you were saying before. Maybe because yeah. the characters are a little different. Yeah, because things are sort of elevated to a sort of hyper level in this movie. That it's yeah. that they're 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 willing to forego a little realism, almost to the point of like. Um, uh, it almost kind of has the feeling of some of the early like nineties comic book movies um, that it has sort of that level of, of just um, hyper reality yeah. that, that I don't mind. In fact, I, I'm like, just like you loving the fact that he's just getting his ass kicked left and right. And I love the physical comedy and I love the, you know, the, I, I, 
this sounds kind of bad to say, but the physical violence comedy, <laughs> Sure, <laughs> but, um, but it's hysterical and it's, and it, and it is happening to, you know, uh, never a more deserving person. I mean, this guy is horrible. <laughs> He's evil. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I, and the funny thing is, is for as evil as they make this couple out to be, I think that if you really read between the lines, there might be yet another level of really sadistic evil that happens with these people, even beyond what we see, um, that, um, there's kind of that moment where Alice, the, uh, the daughter that they've oh. stolen and raised on their own, that there's a moment where daddy has got some leanings in a certain way that they, they don't go into that too much in this movie, but, um, but yeah, yeah these he are grabs some, his dick though. Like they, right, they telegram yeah. it pretty hard. Yes. So but yeah, it um, never goes beyond that, but right. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, you're so, not surprised by it, but it's just like another, Oh man. Right. So yeah, any, any horrible physical violence against those people is just, the more the merrier. Yeah. So let's, uh, let's like uh, bridge our way into it. I did like how this movie opened with this kind of tarot card reading that his, uh, that fool's sister is giving him sets up the movie very nicely about trouble and he's going to get himself in trouble, which he does, but he has a pure heart, but he's the fool. Like he's always, he's ready to just step off the ledge. Yeah. And this movie is about him a becoming a man and making the right choices and being a good person. Even though he starts the movie as a thief. He's a criminal. He's a thief. He's yeah. trying to rob a guy. Yeah. But I love that. Um, I kind of realized I was like, oh, is this this movie is like the ghetto Goonies. But just kind of some things swapped. It's people being evicted from their home. So they have to go and find a treasure and they find it in this place that has all these weird contraptions. And it, but instead of it being a group of people find one weird person in the basement, it's one person finds a bunch of weird people in the basement <laughs> and then nope. they pay off their thing and live happily ever after they find riches beyond their wildest dreams. Right. Well, and and you're right. I, I didn't make that Goonies connection, but that that fits perfectly because it does it does kind of waver between horror movie and sort of like a like an adventure movie almost yeah. in a way. I mean, it's it's like a horrific adventure, but it it does have that um, almost like a that that house is so rigged up that it almost has this sort of like theme park quality to it <laughs> right. where there's all these little devices and contraptions and slides. And, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's a fun movie. And I think that that's the one thing, like it just hearkening back to what we were talking about as far as not picking up the social commentary early on is that this movie is so fun. That that's, that's what jumps out the most to me. And you know, and I mentioned, made mention of it many times on these uh, shows that, that I, I personally do not care for social commentary in, in my films. I like social commentary, but I would prefer to see that in a documentary. Like if you're like, sure. Hey, I've got this really great documentary about the socioeconomic patterns of Los Angeles in the early nineties. I would be like, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll watch that. But I, I don't necessarily like that interfering in, in my stories. Um, but this movie, while it, it is more prevalent than I remember it being, I think you can, it's choose your own adventure. If you want, really want to feed into the, the commentary, the social commentary, you can, but if you really want to just sit back and have fun with the zaniness, there's plenty of that. Yeah. Plenty of both for everyone to enjoy. Right. Uh, but speaking of, of, uh, you know, what we're getting at here, as far as the performance is really selling this thing, 
You've got a great cast. Um, and it's funny, the, the first one that really jumps out at me, not necessarily one of the lead roles, probably more supporting, but the role of Alice played by A.J. Langer, who is huge to me and to <laughs> anyone who watched My So-Called Life. Yeah. Um, and uh, so it was few things, other things that she did, because I think she did one of those, like, I'm an actress, I'm going to do a few roles and then marry some sort of like European royalty. Uh, yeah. Her children are lords and ladies. Right. Yes. So married nobility. <laughs> I don't remember specifically, you know, some Duke of, she didn't learn much from making this movie. I'll say that. Yeah. Right. You right. make this movie and go, you know what I'm going to do? Uh, marry into the pro uh, proletariat. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh but no so she's she's great and and she really does do a great job as as alice um but yeah we were talking about the that character of of fool like that that kid is um you you believe everything that you're supposed to believe about him that he would have a good heart but that he's also ballsy enough to try and you know commit a robbery even if it's just for the best of of intentions um and uh so yeah, that, that kid does a fantastic job. Um, but the, but the, you really have to nail the parents that you have to nail the casting of these mommy and characters and you, you couldn't have done any better. No, Everett McGill and Wendy Rob, Robbie or Roby. Now were they on twin peaks? Yes. Okay. But did they play a couple on twin peaks? Um, you know what? I think that they did. Okay. Um, I, that's what I, I thought. Yeah, I'm pretty I, sure I did not did. watch Twin Peaks. Just put yeah, there. <laughs> I, I didn't watch it religiously. I mean, I've seen a couple uh, of episodes. I know it's always been one of those that I've been meaning to dive into. But yeah, I believe they played a couple on the show. Okay, but not like this. I'm assuming. No. Okay. Because yeah. dude, I mean, as great as Everett, Everett McGill is, fucking Wendy, Robbie, or Roby. How do you? Uh, how, should we decide on how we're saying her yeah, name? Let's just. I'm go just going to call her Wendy. Let's, let's go with Wendy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the like Wendy has just so many great freak out mom moments, but then like cool simmering mom moments. But like at the very end, when she just goes ballistic, I just love it. Like she plays crazy. They just both have like rubber faces that play crazy so well. I don't know. I just, I enjoyed her a lot. I think I, he's very memorable. I think it was what it is. So I do remember all the times he gets, you know, beat up and his lines and whatnot. But this time around, I was all about mommy. I loved the mom. Yeah. But you know, but, but, and you're right. The, the thing that, um, the thing that's so great about them is that even, or anything comes out of their mouths uh, or any of the crazy antics ensue. Um, they just really look the part because you, you don't want to have people that so outwardly look crazy and menacing because then it would just, it'd be too obvious, but there's something about both of those actors that when you look at them, you're like, man, there's just something not right here. And I think that that's the, the first thing that I remember um, what's uh, I'm sorry, what's the, daddy's name the actor everett, everett mcgill yeah first thing i remember him from is silver bullet where he oh, played he the, silver bullet yeah the the uh cory haim yeah. werewolf movie yeah he yeah. was the preacher he was the the werewolf oh okay. yeah 
that gets shit. shot in the I eye. I don't think I've everything. seen that since it like premiered on HBO. Yeah. And he, he, uh, he definitely, it, it's certainly not similar parts to each other, but he does a great job. Kind of like we were talking about Tom Noonan in, uh, in the last episode does a great job of presenting a certain level of, of normalcy, but there being something not right behind that, that exterior. Yeah. And um, so no, well, our first, our first shot of him is of him just chowing down on a, Flintstones rack of ribs <laughs> right. uh, in front of this. They, they have this very gothic look to them. I did kind of like how they like they didn't fuck around with like, we're just going to introduce these characters and it's like totally out of context. It just like comes in out of nowhere. They seem to be very weird with their daughter. And like, that's like you just see this very brief moment of them eating and she's sewing, you know, they're doing semi normal things. But yeah, it's this weird gothic fireplace living room. He's eating in front of the fire. I love how he he like takes a big bite of something and then it's like, oh, pulls out and he's like, damn buckshot. And then throws it in a dish full of like 18 other buckshots. Like, yes, got to know that's coming at this point, man. <laughs> and I, I actually have eaten uh, meat with buckshot in it before. Oh, yeah. Pheasant. Not that large a buckshot. I mean, no, these things no. are all marble size. Yeah, no, like it was like a. Beat. That is not buckshot. <laughs> yeah, these are small cannonballs he's spinning <laughs> right. out. True, but um, but yeah, it's uh, but kind of like what you're saying though. It's and what we were saying earlier that that what's really happening is is only fed to you very very subtly. So in the beginning, you're thinking like you know, okay, this is about um you know, this, this kid and his, his family is getting evicted and he's going to, you know, go along with this, uh, invasion and robbery to, to hopefully, you know, secure the money to, to help his mother and, and her battles with cancer and whatnot. Um, and that movie, that portion of the movie moves along just fine. But when, when fool is discovered in the house, when mommy and daddy discover that there are people in the house, because Lord knows from all of the locks on the windows and all of the contraptions and fences and wiring and everything that they have, the last thing that they want is anybody to get into this house. Right. So once they find out that somebody is in the house, the hunt is on and that's really where the fun is injected and it is ushered in by nothing other than a full gimp suit. Yes. <laughs> the full leather gimp suit that which really it comes which, out of nowhere yes yeah there's like, no like go get dressed and nothing it's just like there's someone in the house and the next he's just running out of a room with a yeah. shotgun and the full gimp suit yeah the fact that like a home intruder necessitates <laughs> a full head-to-toe leather outfit yeah. Like I'm not, I'm not following that logic, but it works for me. Yeah. I took it as he just loves hunting people down because <laughs> yes. what, what we, again, as the, you know, they unveil things very slowly. I'm going to jump kind of to the end. You find out he's a cannibal. So it's implied that the ribs that he's eating at the beginning are human ribs. I would right. assume. Cause he's not going out hunting in the country. Um, we I, we should we didn't even mention fool breaks into this house with I said his you know his sister's boyfriend Leroy played by Ving Rames 
uh, yeah. a unknown Ving Rhames really at the time. This was three years before Pulp Fiction would make him, you know, an icon. Well, I've, I say an icon. I, st- I yeah. still, when I see Ving Rhames, get excited. Well, yeah, I wrote down, uh, I have here a note that just says Ving Rhames has always ruled. Like <laughs> yes. that guy, like yeah, from the great very beginning. This. Yeah, it's just that voice, that presence. Um, it's, uh, and and I think he's great casting Rames, despite having this sort of muscular and st- everything about that guy reads as like strength, whether it's it's how big he is or the sort of quiet strength in his voice. So I think that that, that was really smart casting to put him in that role, because it'd be really easy to say that 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 character is just a thug. Yeah. Um. But but Ving Rames brings a sort of. um a likability, um, even if he's not, there's not a ton of outward warmth in that. Um, if anything, that character might be a little uneven because I think that it's written with sort of that thuggish mentality, but just Ving Rames being Ving Rames brings this sort of niceness to it somehow. Yeah. Cause he does seem to care about fool there, it, but it's like fool doesn't know who he is, you know, like when we, when we're introduced to Leroy fool is like, who are you? Right. And, and then they like rob the place the next day. So it is, yeah, it is kind of a weird uh, relationship between those two. And I, and I agree with you. I, I wasn't sure where Ving, where the character of Leroy was coming from. Cause he's obviously he's robbed places before, you know, but he has this instant likeness to fool, but how could you not? The kid's great. Yeah. And, <laughs> so and, I guess I get that. And, and the, you know, the, the dialogue is, it's a little crude in spots, but, um, but it's, it's always charming. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, uh, Ving Rhames character is a, a thief or a criminal or what have you. So he's got to have a little edginess to it now. Yeah. I mean, he has some lines that are, are a little ridiculous. Like what does he say? We're like, um, the president's going to make him like the secretary of pussy or yeah, something. This, yeah. <laughs> that's exactly what he says. And yeah. When I hear that, I don't, I don't know. Just um, using pussy like that. I, I'm, I'm not adverse to the word pussy. It's fine. But just uh, uh, men referring to it like that has always put me off even when i was a like toxic teenager just like i just remember someone at work coming up to me and this is it was my first year of college and just asking about all the pussy in college and i was just like ew dude (laughs) like it just it sounded so uh like not even to me like to me it wasn't even demeaning it just sounded gross I don't know. Yeah, no, I I know what you mean, and it did. It, it certainly in this instance, it's kind of like they. There's some moments where, like you're saying, where he does care about fool, and so we're getting some of that, and we're kind of warming up to him, and then he has to break out the pussy line, and it's like, well, I don't know, it's it's a little uneven. Yeah. Um, but uh, there's some, you know, we've got a casual n word thrown out. Yeah, no, give them credit; they never do it again. Right, had ample opportunities. Yeah, I think and she they, almost gets one out at the very like the end comes out right. and then is cut off. So, yeah, I think that they get it out once 
nice and early just so that, you know, to not be completely off-putting to audiences, but to say like, this is, this is that kind of people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's our, the villain saying it, of course. So, right. Yeah. Right. But, um, but I don't even think like Leroy never says it in a casual sense. How, like if you were to hear that word in a movie today, it's said casually by people of color, like, right. That's the only, but I don't even think they're using it in that kind of, affectionate way in this movie i think that that was that became a little bit more popular uh just a handful of years yeah, it is later. blowing my mind this movie is almost 30 years old yeah uh, the I can't handle mortality right now <laughs> right and written by a white man so i mean it's it's you know but he does a good job you know right. i mean it, it, it's it's oh yeah it, any unevenness that i'm talking about is is just it's nothing that that would turn you off to Ving Rhames character or anything like that. Now he does have a little, there is what, if I'm being critical, there is a moment where he uh, is like, he finds fool or fool finds him. They both know they're being sort of hunted and, you know, he's asking about his friend and his, his voice is kind of cracking with emotion. Like, did you find Spencer? Like, you know, or whatever. And it's right. like, like is, is that the way to go with that thing like i'm not i'm not really sure if i'm buying the like a sudden like emotional outpouring over your criminal friend but yeah um but you know he was a young actor you know he's, he's still putting it together yeah but um but yeah still i i mean it's uh it's it's a great movie in that it is very much a inner city film but it's it's it just goes to show how successful it is that once we're in that house, we're stuck in there and and the the characters are stuck in there and we, you know, feel stuck in there along with them. Um, but it's far from boring because, like we've said before, that house always has some sort of weird trap or something, you know, around yeah. every corner. Because the house already seems weird because when they first go in, we should set up so they're. They're casing this joint essentially to rob it because they hear that there is like a rare coin collection inside. Um, so first they send Fool up to the house. He's dressed in like a Cub Scout uniform or whatever generic scout they use, Beaver Scout or whatever. Um, and, you know, he's like trying to sell. I love he's like uh, trying to sell her cookies. And then he's like, you know, multiple sclerosis is bad. You know, we're trying to get it. <laughs> How, how are we supposed to fight it if you don't buy these cookies? <laughs> like he's not like, you know, he's like, if she asks anything about multiple sclerosis, right. he's just going to be done. Um, And so, so they're with another dude, this white dude, Spencer. Um, and he's like, I, I want to check out the house. There might be alarms on the inside. Cause it, fool tries to get inside the house by saying he's got to pee. Um, Mom, mother doesn't let him in. Um, and so Spencer goes up to the house as a gas man. He gets let inside and then immediately mother leaves the house. And so they're like, well, what? There's got to be other people in there. They're not just going to leave Spencer in there. So they like go to find Spencer. So just by breaking into the back door, there's a this super heavy steel door. And when they finally pry it open, it like moves these whole shelves of like of garbage aside to reveal windows um so yeah already you're just like what is what 
what is with this house? You know, the people <laughs> right. are weird. Now it's like, oh, the house is weird too. And they've yeah. got a dog. Yeah, Prince. They, they get attacked by Prince the dog. And I love this part because <laughs> the dog is on Ving Rames. So Fool instinctively knows dogs hate being insulted. So Fool yells, your mother sleeps with cats, which draws the dog's attention to him. Um, so they're able to separate themselves from the dog. So yeah, now they're like kind of in the house. And this is one of those, you're hearing weird things, but not seeing anything. And Fool eventually makes his way down into the basement. And this is where we get our first glimpse, I guess, of the titular people under the stairs. I should point out, never really anybody under the stairs in this movie. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> They're just in the basement. There is yeah. one, there's one part at the end where one like busts through the stairs, but that's it. Yeah. Usually if I say that something's down in my basement, I say that it's in the basement. I don't say that it's under the stairs, <laughs> right. but it's not as scary creepier. the people in the basement that right. sounds like a kidnapping i don't want to watch this movie like you know it sounds like room and even more so what rules is that now i just noticed this i don't know if it's ever actually said i noticed it because i still watch movies with closed caption all the time i'm even though i have hearing aids now I, it's just out of habit but one of the characters one of the quote-unquote people under the stairs is named stairmaster <laughs> <laughs> literally the the one that helps fool find the like the gold not yeah. roach the no, other the one? other main guy that's unnamed that stairmaster interesting yes. yes why the yeah. hell would they call him stairmaster i don't i don't know why they i guess him. it's just because he's one of the people under the stairs yeah they're kind of the lead the thing he's the lead one because yeah, roach roach is a character a played by sean whalen and he's one of those guys Character actor, like when this movie came out, I feel like he was like hot. He was a hot character actor. He always played the wiry, nervous, not really nerdy, but you know. Yeah, he has that sort of like geeky face. Yes, geek, you know. Thank you. <clears throat> but yeah, he was in a lot sharp of sharp distinction between nerdy and geeky. <sighs> where <laughs> yeah. He was in a lot of commercials. He was in a lot of TV. Yeah, he was a little bit of... This was like his everywhere. biggest thing where you're like, yeah. oh, damn, this dude has this part? Holy shit. <laughs> now he doesn't get to talk because they cut his tongue out, but he does right. a lot. Yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's a good, wiry dude, so he actually was a good casting for... And he's got a very sympathetic face. He looks he looks very kind. My, yes. my daughter was like drawn to him immediately. Like, oh, I love Roach. Like you yeah. just love Roach. And, and there's probably more action of people in the walls than there are people under the stairs in this movie. But, <laughs> and that's where we find him most of the time, but it's, it's so cool because it really kind of um, like we've talked about with other movies that we're not big fans of, of plot progressions that seem to just be a little too convenient. But when you've got a guy that's running around inside the walls at any given time, yes, help could be just right on the other side of the wall. So it's, yeah. it's a nice little, um, it's a nice little combative element to have against this, you know, mommy and daddy character that seem to be so all powerful and overwhelming. And yet the, the, that character of Roach, being that one tether to to help or kindness in that house really adds 
a nice, likable, sweet element to the movie that yeah. that it really desperately needs when you've got a mommy and daddy character that are so awful. Yeah, and that type of character it helps create, make that house like a world in itself. Cause I mean, on the, on the surface of it, it's all contained within these four walls. Right. But in the reality of the interior of the house, the prison is the basement. He's gotten out of the basement. He hasn't escaped the house. Right. He's almost a free person because he lives in the walls and is able to traverse the house in ways that other people aren't. Cause for some reason, Daddy is scared of what's in the walls. Yeah. That's kind of iffy. That's whatever. Like, that's fine. Whatever reason separates those two worlds, like the, the interior of the house, and the interior of the walls. Uh, it just, it just makes that house. I mean, the house already seems like a labyrinth, which yeah. I'm sure it's not, but, but it does. It just, it paints a, it paints the picture of this enormous place without uh without it just feeling stupid, I guess is yeah. the word I can think of. Yeah, no, I, I think it's it 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 brings some of the the whimsy. Um, like I had mentioned earlier, like it's got I mean, this is a bit of a stretch, but not really kind of like the home alone elements when when we start to get into some of the physical comedy, like this labyrinthian nature of this house, um, it does sort of just up that sort of fantasy quality to this movie. And I, I don't know, it's, I mean, this movie is clearly labeled much argument as a horror movie and, and it is, but I don't know what it's certainly gory. Yeah. Um, Well, yeah, there, there is, I mean, there are some elements of, of extreme gore, which I'll tell you, they could be, you could take out the gore in this movie. You could edit it for television and sure. still not lose much. No. Yeah. Cause a lot of it is, there's just a lot of tension and suspense. Um, you know, he's, there's a lot of hiding. It's just a hide and seek game yeah. essentially. Um, and a mystery that he's uh, unsolving. Cause right. you know, they have the daughter, Alice, and you you eventually find out a yes the, we've talked about the incest before so this the mo- mommy and daddy are brother and sister Alice is not their daughter they just kidnap children and try to find the perfect ones somehow Alice has survived this long but all the the quote people under the stairs are the sons that they've wanted or the perfect boys and they've all had an issue for some reason and are then their bad parts are cut out and they're exiled to the basement essentially to where now they like they have their own kind of community down there they've got you know sometimes they get food and flashlights and they seem content uh there's one dude who just kind of watches a tv there there is a very interesting i noticed it um because when when fool like pulls back because the the tv is not facing out into the room it seems to be turned into a window essentially and so you can only hear it um when he eventually pulls it out it's when the first time we bombed baghdad way back in the 90s um but before he pulls it out you you can only hear the tv and it's a woman talking about how she's sorry that she couldn't have children uh and i was like oh shit like that's not in there on accident. Like that's right. a little foreshadowing about what our couple is actually up to. 
I thought that was really cool. I like that little detail. Um, but yeah, so they just kind of exist down in the basement. The, there are some skeletons down there. I don't know how many, <laughs> you know, right. but you know, but again, you don't know, are those like servicemen that have come in? Cause it's, uh, they obviously have no problem killing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think it might be implied that it might be some, some failed burglars from the past that yeah. might've ended up down there. I wanted to see a, a, a wider range of ages from these boys. Cause it seemed like they tried for one year and then we're just like, Nope, none of them worked. We're never doing this again. Yeah, right. And yeah. Now they're just kind of all the same tw- young 20 ish. Yeah. Like they just went on a tear for six months and every week they'd get, you know, get a new young boy in there. And then now they're all like roughly about the same age. You're right. And, and I had, I had a, I had a friend mentioned to me, I, now I didn't really pick this up, but it might be worth mentioning. Um, the makeup of the people under the stairs uh, of the boys. Um, it was, I, I heard a comment from someone that said that they didn't care for the makeup, that they thought it was a little uneven. Cause like one guy is sort of green and one guy, yeah. like they look it looks like zombie ish. Right. Yeah. So it's something, it doesn't really look like realistic. I mean, obviously somebody who's kept from all daylight, you know, and feeding off of whatever random, burglar that got caught the week before like there's going to be a certain like you know pale right sort of sallow look to these people they but could have gone a very real way of yes just making them very sunken and yeah pale but, they do but look yeah they almost, look more monstrous they look more like mutants yeah yes they do Which, mutants. you know and uh but i guess that plays into what we think i mean if you have to picture a horror movie about people under the stairs and it being scary you probably would picture like a monster or right, yeah plus some malnourished dude is not as scary <laughs> right but but the thing is like the the beauty is is that we we really don't have a sense of caring or compassion for these guys for quite a while like they're they're not painted as the sympathetic group of of kidnap victims like it, i mean there's a, a good handful of scenes where you think that they're just like you don't know what they are they're just right. crazy sort of um, you know, caged in people. So um, that's, that's another good job of them not giving us too much too fast. But one thing that I think is, is really interesting because I, I am, I am ready to, to address some of the, the commentary now, the social commentary. Um, one thing that I think is very, very interesting, and I don't know if this was planned or not, but speaking of our buddy, the Stairmaster, so here we have an entire movie about how this family, you know, there, there's a family, they're reclusive, they're living in this big house, they don't like outsiders, they're hoarding all this wealth, which I could have just described the Adams family right there too. But, <laughs> right. Um, but I mean, the, the bad, you know, this is our, our bad version of that. Um, that, you know, there's, there's this want and desire throughout this movie for these people to have some human compassion and to care about their fellow man and, and a really, really great message there. And it's a message that I feel might be lost a little bit at the end of this movie, because ultimately what happens is, is that there's, there's such a yearning for compassion from this, these horrific people, but not to, to skip to the ending here, but when their house is blown up by full and there's money 
like raining out of the sky. Then it's just turns into this mob scene of people just jumping up and grabbing cash out of the air. Right. And it's like, it's like, so money really is the answer then it's, it's not really about compassion. It's just, how can I get my hands on the money? Which now granted, that's not entirely fair to say, because if you're facing being evicted or you don't know where your next meet come from then money very much does make the world go round. right yeah um like imagine they're starving and it's food blasting right right but but the one thing that i i really thought was cool and i don't know if this was intentional or not so the money is blasting out of the house it's flying through the air people are jumping up and grabbing these these dollar bills and hundred dollar bills and then out walks the stairmaster and he is as elated as all the other people jumping for money, but he's just happy just to be outside. Right. He's looking right. He's not looking at the money. He's just thrilled to be free. So I, I, I thought that that was a nice juxtaposition. I don't know how intentional that was, but, um, well, we don't see it, but he's excited about pussy. That must be it. Yeah. Fool, Fool does. That is kind of the way Fool gets him because he's like, because he's kind of talking to him in the basement. He's like, look, I'm going to help you out of here. Like there's like food and fresh air and girls. And the guy's like, hmm, <laughs> girls. Which I, yeah. Which I'm like, sure you're going to be a big hit with as soon as you yeah, get out I'm like, there. That's not, don't, yeah. don't get his hopes up, Fool. No. Um. But but I I wanted to ask you about that. Like, did that? I mean, I I get it. I get the whole thing. But did that? I don't know. I felt a little. It felt like a little bit of a a shift there, where we were talking about some genuinely good natured things. But then it just felt like it ultimately was about money at the end. Yeah. Like I and and that's probably reading into it a little too harshly. But if we're if we're talking about social commentary, well, that's true. I mean, I. I don't know. If they had started fighting over the money, <laughs> then I would have been like, I would have been on board with that. But yeah, as I mean, dude, cause here's the thing, like the place that fool and his family are getting evicted from, oh, yeah. I would want to get evicted from <laughs> right. like why? Cause he, yeah. So he like event, he finds the coins first and, and he actually escapes the house and then yeah. he goes back and that's where all this happens. Um, Cause his sister shows up with the community. Like they actually try confronting them in a noble sense, not by fucking robbing them. Right. Um, but, but like the, he, he, he like gives the coins, I guess to his grandpa. I think it is. I'm yeah. Not sh- okay. And um, Hey, I love where grandpa's like, wow, you went in that place. Like I wouldn't walk past that place when I was a kid. I was like, when you were a kid, was California a state when you were a kid? Like, <laughs> you're 80 years old. <laughs> um, but anyway, so, but he's like, you could pay your rent up to the year 2000. I'm like, how about 94 at a different place? Like, <laughs> right. don't keep paying rent here. Cause it's literally, he, A, they're the last people in this giant building. They're the last tenants but that building is packed of just junkies and reprobates and hobos. <laughs> and it's like the most undesirable place you would ever want to be. He's terrified being there. Like you like, but everyone like knows his name. It's a really weird. Everyone's very friendly to him. Yeah. But you know, as the only 
people there with assets, they would be targeted by these people incessantly. Yes. And on top, his mom's got cancer, which is apparently a very easy cancer to remove. Like you could just do it. No problem. But they don't have the money for it. That seems like an, an unnecessary pile on, especially yeah. for something that's waved away like, oh, you could take care of the cancer. No problem. Addiction's yeah, bad. What, cancer yeah, also what, bad. What? Yeah. Like what kind of cancer is that exactly? Right. Like yeah. it's like she's got a like, mole on her chest. Like pinky toe cancer. <laughs> like, oh, you just chop that thing off. You're cancer free. Yeah. Um, but but no, I uh, I yeah. And, and that again, just going back to the thing like it. Nothing about this, uh, the commentary of the, the haves and the have nots, it, none of it bothers me. I, I don't feel like any of it is is rammed down our throat. I think it's, I, I read something where Wes Craven said that he's not necessarily trying to, to make mommy and daddy out to be Ronald and Nancy Reagan, but he wanted them to be like, who's... Ronald Reagan and Nancy Reagan when nobody's looking. Sure. And like, like kind or of like, who do they appeal to? Who are the type of people they appeal right. to? Right. And so, I, I mean, it, it, it certainly is, uh, you know, he's, he's getting his, his jabs in there. Um, but it's, it's always with a dose of fun. It's always, um, it's always with humor. Uh, and it's never, never, I feel preachy for a second. I think it's I think it no. makes its point, um, but it doesn't ram it down your throat. Well, and and never- I think it I think it it hits a little differently now. I mean, yes, in 1991 was like. Like wealth disparity, is that a word? I don't know what I'm saying right now, but like the gap in wealth distribution was nowhere close in 91 as to what it is. now. Like if you put that on a graph as to like what people made like minimum wage and things like that, like watching it now, maybe that's why it hit me so much harder. Cause I, all I do see is a rich guy hoarding his wealth and doing nothing with it. That's the other part of it. He does. It's not like I want this wealth so I can get a cool car or I want to make my house beautiful. Like everything he has is shoddy, and he's he doesn't spend the money. He doesn't put it back into the economy. He just hoards it. And right. I think that I think that just speaks, especially to people's situations now. Not that it wasn't an issue thirty years ago, but it certainly wasn't the issue it was today. So how well that has unfortunately played out to still be relevant? Because I and, and you were saying earlier just how kind of timeless this movie is there's nothing that really dates besides ving rames's clothes <laughs> like that right. leather hat is so early 90s but other than that there is nothing where i'm like oh this is just stuck in the early 90s right yeah you're right and it, and it is still relevant like it you know you make a really good point. You've mentioned it a couple times about how the inside of their house, like you would expect these people that are hoarding this wealth, that the inside of that house would be immaculate, that it would have the newest of everything, that it would be crystal, just clean and, and expensive. But I, so when I was watching it again, I'm like, yeah, why is everything so dingy in here? But it's just like, wait, like what you're saying, it's just speaking to the gluttony, like gluttony for gluttony's sake. But because when you read about this movie, it talks a lot about gentrification. But 
I, I don't see as much uh, gentrification being That's kind of their plan is they're hoping yeah. to evict people from their shitty buildings so they can build real nice buildings and then charge even more rent for them. Right. And, and that, and that, that is and very drawing much. in the, and there's a lot of comments about how bad the neighborhood has gotten. Right. You know, that, sometimes that, it feels like we're the prisoners. Right. A lot of nice, and, beautiful, subtle racism. Right. And it's, it's, um, it's something that's probably even truer. Like you're saying now, like I, for example, I remember when I went to, to Boston and I really wanted to go to Southie cause I wanted to see, you know, the Irish side of things. And, um, I, there were some movies that took place in Southie that I really liked. And I really kind of wanted to see the real, you know, underbelly of Boston. And so I, I go to Southie and I'm like, what's this? Like, <laughs> pastel colored condos and people walking their dogs and stuff. And I'm like, what, what's going on here? And I, I did find my way, you know, a local bar that still had some of that local old school flavor. And they're like, yeah, nobody can afford to live here anymore. Like the people that you're looking for had to move out yeah. because, because people thought, Oh, let's move to a rough and tumble neighborhood and, and be cool. And, and, you know, it'll, it'll give us, you know, we can be kind of tough and, and wealthy at the same time, yeah. you know, and it's, it's a it's, cool, but where can I get a chaise lounge? <laughs> right. You're going to need exactly. a chaise lounge store here <laughs> and it snowballs from there. Right. But, um, so yeah, it, it, the, the, the issues are, are probably even truer today than they were then. Um, but, uh, but I think that, I think the fun is served up in much a much greater amount than anything else in this movie because like we're talking about with with, like you had mentioned earlier like daddy and all of the fantastic quotable lines that he has like there is a point where his character becomes nothing but just a flat-out joke i mean just hysterical like there's nothing even really creepy anymore like he's more like just fallible and hilarious to laugh at that yeah. is menacing. Um, and, and that's just, I don't know. I think that that's what the heart is. It, it is the fun. It is the cavernous adventure, you know, um, kind of reverse siege movie. That's really what is at the heart of this film. I think. Yeah. I, I loved it so much. I thought I was going to be, just be like, Oh, this isn't as good as I remembered, but man, I just, I loved it. All the beats. No, there is one. There is one part that I've never noticed before, and I'm wondering if this was just an outtake that ended up in the movie. Because there's a part where Fool hits Daddy with a like he's got the fireplace poker, and the and it breaks when he hits him. And there's just this thing where he kind of does a thing where he like looks side to side and then runs off. And it's just like, you feel like that was the, whoops, I just broke a prop. Are we cool? Okay. <laughs> but it just, right. but it worked fine. Like it, it's very subtle. So I think they left that in. And, uh, you know, in addition to everything that we're talking about here with these performances, some really outstanding fucking dog acting like that. Oh, the, the scenes Prince with, is doing with Prince. His, yeah. I mean, like there are a couple scenes where they had to they had to resort to using a puppet. Um, but I mean, for the most part, like 90 percent of it is real dog. And it's fucking awesome. Like yeah. the action is great and it's terrifying. Now, the puppet parts are great, though, when it comes like 
flaps out of the wall like with its tongue out. (laughs) Right, right. But I mean, uh, I think they used four different dogs, I counted, um, for that one part uh, of Prince. But um, yeah, they're all super great. And, um, And some of it's like even cute, like when... He get Prince gets sort of tricked and like in one of those things where stairs turn into a slide and, you know, <laughs> Prince just comes sliding from the upstairs back to the downstairs right out. Into oh, the no, table. no. That part's not the stairs because oh, yeah, slides. yeah, they throw a doll like on a trap door inside oh, yeah. the walls, which then connects to a cabinet in the kitchen. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And then the, the prince just comes sliding down into the kitchen across the floor and it's just kind of adorable. It point. is. Yeah. And he's just like, Hey, <laughs> how's it going guys? There was one shot. Uh, I'll, I'll say this before we wrap up. Um, and it's, it's just kind of a random note I had. There was a, there was a shot where daddy's in the basement and they, they do that vertigo shot where you zoom yeah. in on someone, but but it's like in the black, it's like in, it's very dark and there's not really anything behind him. It's a very ineffective shot for a shot that's supposed to be like, is designed to be effective. I I didn't understand why it was in there. Well, I think it was just part of, um, a certain run of years where it almost felt like every movie had to have that shot. Like, sure. Once somebody broke that and figured that shot out, it was like, everybody was like, Ooh, we got to have that. Um, but you're right. There must've there. Like you could have had that with like fool in, in the house where they're like, there's more to look at in the background. You're right. I mean, yeah. that would have been effective, but just in a dark basement, like yeah, the, the dark basement, and there's maybe like one support beam that you see. And that's yeah. it. Yeah, like the the best way to use the vertigo shot is is actually more like in a wider frame in daylight in a big like expansive space. Yeah, like that's when it works the best when you have you're kind of zooming in on the singular person, but there's this wide space that's moving behind them. Um, but yeah, it, it was kind of a wasted shot. It was yeah, I know when it happened, I'm like, oh well, then they got their vertigo shot in. Like, yeah. check that off the list. It's just if someone's thinking, oh no, you have to that shot right. conveys it essentially. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're just frozen with disbelief, vertigo shot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then as you said, fool blows the house up because daddy's got it rigged with explosives. <laughs> um and uh like a Bernie Sanders wet dream, money is ejaculated all over <laughs> people. <laughs> The poor people outside. Yeah, literally the money shot. Everybody lives happily ever after. <laughs> um, yeah, and then the uh, the stairmaster is is now on the prowl. Yeah, ladies. Yeah, I, I will say there was something I didn't like about the look of them, and I maybe it was the makeup. I don't know. They just seemed very um, MTV hair metal looking, which I just I don't like that aesthetic. I get that they've been in a basement and their hair would be long, but they just kind of all look like rejects from a metal. You know, this, yeah. they all seem like I was like, oh, this is like the part Alice Cooper would have. <laughs> You know, right. <laughs> yeah. that, the, the part that he did have, actually. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, no, you're right. It's it, there was something there that was kind of like, I, I don't think it was thought through all the way there. Um, yeah. I mean, because they're not really characters. So I get it. Like, they just kind of seem like stock people 
who don't know what to do with themselves. Right. A lot of like just shuffling around backwards. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. They're sort of like um, kind of feral. Yeah. Um, I, you guess, know. I guess they're just a metaphor. So that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's the title of the goddamn movie. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. it is people the title it. of the movie, The People Under the Stairs. So do you recommend? Absolutely. This movie is a shit ton of fun. And um, yeah, anybody that you show it to is going to be, nobody's going to be bored with this movie. No. It's fun. It's a thrill ride. It's hilarious. Um, probably the darker your comedy tastings are, the the more you're going to like it. Um, but uh yeah, it's it's awesome. It's super fun. Yeah, I highly recommend. It's like 10 minutes too long. That's my only complaint. Everything else about it, I really love. Um, cool. Well, yeah. All right. So that was from 2000 or 1991. Jesus. People under the <laughs> stairs. Uh, holy cow, Tim. Our next episode. I can't believe it. It's been a year since we around a year since we started this venture. We'll say the first uh, episode premiered a year ago. Um, so our next show is going to be our big one year anniversary show. And we're doing my favorite Friday movie. Maybe yours. Ooh, we'll have to get to All right, that. Yeah, this is, yeah, it's a toss up, <laughs> but it, a, a heavy argument could be made for the best Friday movie. Friday the 13th, part six, Jason lives. Uh, I can't wait. Uh, I can't believe we made it a year. Uh, should be a fantastic episode. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there is there is a ton to talk about with that movie. If if nothing else, it's probably it, it, if it's not the best Friday it's certainly a, a favorite. Like it is, it's fun. It gives you everything that old school Fridays did, but with like a, another level of, of fun and uh, actual stakes in this movie. Yes. Like children, there are children involved. Yeah. Yeah. Children at a summer camp, go figure. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, like it's, it, it's funny for, for well, all the children these... are never involved. Like, we're not talking like teenager children, like, Small children. Right. Yeah. And that's very rarely seen. But yeah, they're they're there. And um, oh, it's it's and and if there's one thing that How I know this one isn't in anyone's top two, like oh my god, it would have to be. Yeah, it would have to be. And for me, my I mean, I am a massive, massive of the Tommy Jarvis uh storyline. I, I I think that it is, and we'll talk about this more then, but I think it is the unequivocally the most effective and best late entry into a storyline of a franchise ever, because there's yeah. been a lot of them that have sucked like that little girl in the Halloween movies or whatever, <laughs> like this. It's so many times they, they try to inject a new mythology into what's already established. Yeah. And it usually oh, like Friday always, the 13th part five. Oh, right. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> but, but we That's crazy. Get, Isn't that crazy? Like, there are three Tommy Jarvis movies. Two of them are arguably the best two. And then the third one is arguably the worst. <laughs> right. Right. But, um, but yeah, I, I love that storyline. Um, there's a lot of talk going around right now. A lot of the legal issues with Friday the 13th have been, uh, if they haven't been completely settled, they're very close to being settled. It's been tied up in courts for 
a decade now. Yeah, dude, and I think, that, that also blew me away. It's been like 12 years since that reboot. Yes. And what the, yeah, the fuck and that's happened the, to time. Well, they, I'll tell you, yeah, they, there's been arguments between the writer of the first film and Sean Cunningham. And uh, it's just been tied up in the courts. As I mean, I'm fine. Cause I did not it. like that reboot, reboot very much. No, the no. last thing they needed to do was answer, you know, how does Jason move around so quickly? Right. Right. Yeah. They, I, I saw that one time. And the only thing that I remember about that movie is that there's a line about a girl having perfect nipple placement. That's the only thing. <laughs> Do you, I don't know if you remember that line, but it was just, it was hysterical. No, but um, Tim, if they don't talk about pussy, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I can't stop saying it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, like a defense mechanism. Like yeah. the one thing that you're trying not to say, you can't help but just say pussy over and over and over. <laughs> yes. This is our most pussy filled episode for sure. <laughs> All right, Tim. All right, cool. Well, Until we uh, cover The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yes, that, that was the show. Please follow us on Instagram uh, at Slumber Podcast Massacre. Our email is uh, slumberpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, does this movie pass the Bechdel Wallace test? Uh, no. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah, wait. no. Does it? Now, uh, there has to be a scene now. Oh, 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 oh. When the um, fool's oh, sister and mommy. And mother. You're right. Yeah. Okay. At the very beginning. Boom. Boom. Right off the bat, they passed the test. All right. Yeah. Good job, Wes Craven. <laughs> this is the wokest horror movie of all time. <laughs> okay. Anyway. So, yeah. Uh, email. Uh, our Patreon is patreon.com slash slumber podcast massacre. Huge thanks to our patrons. Um, you make this all possible. Join us next week when your anniversary, Friday the 13th, part six. Jason Liz, Timmy, do you got anything else to say about the people under the stairs? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes. One of the I had totally forgotten that that line existed in this movie, but when daddy just blurts that out <laughs> to the dog. Like, yeah, to, to the, the dog, dog of all other things. <laughs> yeah, he's got the poor Alice like on the bed in her bedroom and then just opens the door and yells at Prince. Just says, shut the fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a great line. Oh, it's a good one to end on. All right, Timmy, we'll see you later. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Bye. Bye.